0: All right, hello and welcome to Game Dev Grit Episode 8. And we're here with Brad. we got another game developer who's going to share their grit, their problems, their punishments with us. So thank you to the bo- podcast, Brad. And please tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey so far in Game Dev.
1: Um, Well, I'd just like to start off to talk about the game I'm currently working on, which is a uh, member of the Alamo, which is a VR shooter loosely based on the historic battle of the Birth Texas, where you will fight alongside larger than life heroes. William Barrett Travis, Jim Bowie, and Davy Crockett as you defend the Alamo from Santa Ana as a Mexican army that outnumber you 101. This isn't your Pappy's Alamo though as you'll switch back and forth between the siege defense levels and hilarious skits that then influence the next day's assault. Remember the Alamo is one of the first serialized video games where you'll tune in each week to see what zany thing these heroes are getting into and how their antics affect the next day's battle. Cool man, you got that down. You got the yeah. marketing on lock. <laughs> Bro, I got it on lock. <laughs> um and yeah,
0: you were, so just just talk about like how you got into it, what what are the, the, the struggles? Like ah, go ahead, lay it out there. Your experience so far.
1: Yeah, so I started with Unity about seven years ago, and I kind of started my game je- dev journey about nine years ago. Um, and one of the big issues that I ran into in the beginning was just not being very honest with where I was at my technical skill levels. Because I've been working with Unity for so long, I didn't want to admit that I didn't actually kn- really, really know anything. So I wouldn't go back and look for the beginner tutorials or look for the, the basic things, such as like, what is a rigid body? Like, what is a collider? Like, what are those things really at? And um, my girlfriend would like to mention that uh, when we started dating seven years ago, I told her that I was about to release my first game. And uh, I'm still currently about to be releasing my first game. So being honest with timelines is also another thing that you have to really get into as an indie developer. Um, Another thing was uh, back then, the tutorials were absolutely not the place where they are now. Um, No one had really figured it out there wasn't a, there was not M dot strange, strange school that existed <laughs> that, that really like laid out the blueprint for me and, uh, kind of gave you a way to work as an individual developer.
0: Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. You say that. Cause I went back recently, I made a blog post that like the first day I started learning unity and I was like, Oh, I get this unity thing. Like I understand this, and it was all focused on just the visual parts or the things that I thought, like, made a game, but as I've got more experience, I realized I knew nothing, and I still know very little about, like, the real nuts and bolts, the guts of what a game is outside of, like, the graphics and the... Because even, like, you know, the mechanics, like, oh, I can make this dude move here and do this, that's really not the game, and so... um, I mean, it is difficult and there's so much to learn. And I think we've talked about this in the past here, how Unity kind of like seduces you. Like, look how easy it is, guys. You can make games. And then you get in the middle of it and you're like, what's my game? I don't know. You know, so.
1: I don't know. I don't know what a UI is. Like, what is this? How do I even put sounds in here? How do I mix them? Like, there's just so many little things you have to learn. And especially if you're doing it on your own, it just gets so overwhelming. And to have to say that after five, six years of working on something that you know nothing is awful.
0: Well, but you know, after that, you know, admission, whatever, then, you know, you can make the change and, and better yourself. Like the way I look at, it, you know, I talked to a lot of people and it's like, when they don't know something, they feel bad, but like the way I tweak it is like, when I don't know something, I get excited. Cause I'm like, I'm going to learn this new thing and make myself better. Right. So, right. Right.
1: And I don't think, I don't think many people put that out there. Like it, t- it took me years to learn, to get to that mindset
0: yeah it's tough, but you know it's it's all about your mindset and the and I'm just all about workflow too, so that's I want to talk to people about their workflows because i from when I used to make films and all this other stuff it was just all about getting the workflow down like so it was not that tough for you like you know you can grind on it like that's not the tough part. the tough part is when stuff just like twists your brain up and you just it's super difficult and you hate doing it. so it's all about finding that workflow and so that's what I'm looking for out there and that's what I'm looking from. You guys, I'm interviewing, you know, for secrets of your workflow, those little <laughs> tweaks and things. Um, I know that I have to
1: leave stuff on the table if it gets too overwhelming. Because normally if I sleep on it a few days and then come back to it with fresh eyes, I can normally find the answers that I was missing. And with solo game dev, you have, some, you have your hands in so many places that there's always something else to go to. Like I normally have a, a workflow of I'll have like three things that I'm working on at any one point in time. I'll have a main thing that I'm focusing on and then uh that's what I'm devoting like all of my effort and research into but then there'll be a secondary thing that I'll be thinking of that will eventually become the main focus um and I also uh have a third set of things where I'll be working on whenever I'm like tired or just really not into it and those are like my tired goals such as Updating assets, you know, transferring over files, backing up files, just reading documentations, researching Unity assets.
0: That's a cool approach because I haven't looked too much into it, but we were talking to Ash Blue about Scrum and um, I was asking him about workflow and he was talking about how Scrum makes you a, um, a lot points to tasks. So then like the ones when you're tired are like your low point tasks, right? They're two points. And then the, the ones in the first list would be like your hundred point ones or whatever, right? Something like that.
1: Yeah, I I don't know anything about scrum. It's something I've kind of like recently started looking into, but that seems like the the professional way of, of what I'm, I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, I don't know that much about it either because I, I was trying to do it in my own way and I'd have all these tasks. And then, you know, some tasks would take like, days or weeks and some tasks would take like 5 minutes. So I was finding myself getting bummed out cuz I'm like I'm still on this one task, but if I had a way to like, you know, weight it, give it points or something, I wouldn't feel so bad cuz, you know, I think that's a big thing, right? When you're working alone, it's like you get lost in the woods and you're like, where am I? Where's my project? Like, how have I made progress? How far am I from the goal? Ah! You know, do you have those lost in the woods moments? Oh,
1: yeah. I'm I'm always in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, things that you'll learn from reading, uh, like professional programming books, like Pragmatic Programmer that you had suggested me um, just breaking it down into a more digestible form, because if it's too big picture, you might not even see results on it for weeks or months.
0: Yeah, and that's something that I resisted. You know, when I started, I was like, oh, I'm an artist. Like, yeah, programming, okay, I'll do what I can. But even when I was doing Playmaker and all that stuff, I'm like, I'm not a programmer. Ah, and then later I realized, like, no, this is all programming. So you're doing it. So you might as well learn, like, the rules doesn't mean you have to follow them, but it's good to actually just know what they are.
1: Right, and I think that's kind of what the the Playmaker wall that people talk about is that they'll hit, is that you do eventually have to learn what these Uh, professionals have already figured out as far as like organizing even even if you're just doing your playmaker fsms making them smaller so they're not just a big pile of spaghetti
0: i haven't heard of that so there's a thing called the playmaker wall
1: well just when people talk about playmaker like in these forums and everything they'll just be they'll talk about how you'll eventually hit a point where it won't work as good as programming so there's no point in even doing it but I found that by implementing these programming standards into my playmaker flow, like I, I don't see these issues that people are talking about.
0: Yeah, I think like a big one, because I, I still use playmaker for my high level like design for my enemies and a bunch of different things. But the thing I remember that like now looking back were like the run FSM tasks, right? Like those are really powerful to like encapsulate things and just, you know, use it would be like instancing a class like in programming stuff like that
1: yeah i don't even know what what that means what you just said
0: (laughs) oh do you ever use a run fsm uh -uh. oh so it like so you can take a whole fsm and then save it i think they call it a template as an fsm template
1: oh okay okay yeah i do do those okay
0: oh yeah yeah so then you can have these pre-made bits you know so there could be like a hundred entities referencing the same FSM. But you know, in the normal dumb playmaker way, like you'd have to go change all those machines. You right. know. But yeah, then yeah. this one you just change the one. So almost like um, a prefab. Yeah. And um when I was finishing up doing playmaker for everything, I was using those a ton. And then you come to program you're like, oh a class. who the like <laughs> Yeah, no man, you broke my heart whenever you switched to code. Did I you... still use Playmaker. <laughs> Because, you know, the thing is, then I learned more and it's like, oh, finite state machines. Like I talked to this dude here who like worked in HVAC and he's like, I don't know, we got to talk about it. But he's like, oh, yeah, we use state machines, you know, for like refrigerators and like all these devices because they're, they're really good at managing, quote, high level state. So it's just like the main thing something is doing, you know, like is this door open or closed, open state, closed state, transition, you know, open to close, close open. Um, So they were designed for that. And then, you know, Playmaker came, these visual scripting tools like that, and they're like, well, technically you can do everything in them, but they weren't designed for that. So then I think later on, you're like, oh, well, let me use them for what they were designed for, you know?
1: And then, I mean, you can use uh, like set property or call method to use people's code that you can find off the asset store and then really open up to the things that are missing from playmaker
0: yeah that's a there's an article i think it's like some dude's blog and it's like how to use playmaker with code and that was one of the first things that really got me off there and that's a real good point because uh, a lot of times when i was using playmaker i'd find myself waiting around like asking on the forums for people to make actions to like interact with assets and stuff but then yeah once you learn how to use those and i think they're in the script control category in playmaker right the ones that do that Uh, yes i think they are yeah and you can um use those so then you don't have to program it but so you're 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 making spaghetti all day and all night oh
1: man i'm the pasta man
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i think like there's it's just about like you need to make a choice and it's like the bigger your game, it's kind of like for little games playmaker tools like that are fine you'll never probably hit that wall but when you're trying to do bigger stuff right
1: yeah i mean i say that i only use playmaker but i have like a hundred different unity assets in that are made with code by a professional so it's like i can't fully say that it's only playmaker but then you use playmaker to interact with those
0: yeah me too i use like a dialogue system for my dialogue i use uh pool manager for my pooling. Um yeah, I still use a ton of them too, because I mean it's like, you know, in the in the old days, you'd have to hire a programmer and pay them thousands of dollars to make these for you, right? But it's like fifty bucks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like I see uh those Unity assets as me contracting somebody out, which I mean is what every triple A company does. And I mean they're so good about helping you with things. I mean you can just reach out to them with an email. I mean I think you even had a video of that where you're talking to a Justin from behavior Behavior designer Designer. Yeah. yeah and he like responds within a few minutes I mean he's got a discord now where you can just reach out and talk to him and I mean if you just go up there you put out say hey here's my invoice I bought your asset I've already tried to do all this and I can't do it I've gotten so many just good responses with help even some people just showing me code of how to do it
0: yeah and I find um because I came from the world of film and animation, which is very different from game dev. Like the game dev people are like really helpful and share their code, their assets. And compared to the world that I was in before, it's, it's very nice. Cause yeah, people are just, I mean, open source, right? Here's my GitHub directory. Go ahead. Yeah. Like go crazy. Um, I was just off. I was just found these tools yesterday where this guy made this, like, building system, like The Sims, where you just, like, click and draw walls and floors and doors. And then um, I was like, oh, that's cool, and I got that from his GitHub, and then he had this other thing. You know what Greebling is? Have you ever heard of that? It's from, like, 3D? Uh, No. So it's a thing where you, like, automatically add detail, but he had this other free thing, which I'll post in the show notes, where it's like, say you have a bunch of buildings or platforms or walls, whatever, you use this tool, and you can automatically – Add like random prefabs that you choose, like into the cracks of things, like to add rocks or like plants or stuff, like automatically. So you don't have to paint it by hand, but like the, like the pizza crust, yeah, sort of like that, but automatically. So you just go oh, blimp wow. on your scene and then it shows all these little nodes. And it's like, it's the they call it, yeah, it's just to fill in the detail that like artists usually paint by hand, but it's free too. It's free on the guy's GitHub. So someday uh, I want to have a cool GitHub too sharing stuff <laughs> yeah so how are you doing on your game how are you doing your level maps you're drawing them how how are you doing that if you're doing that
1: well so i mean i failed a few times with projects where it got way too ambitious and it had multiple levels so with this one it's all one level and the levels change based off the enemies that are inside of it um, so I, I don't really need anything like artisty at the moment because I just, I just, I'm just focusing on polishing up this one, which is the Alamo area and just making sure that there are different parameters that can add different AIs into it, depending on what the,
0: the situation okay, is. Okay. So I think I saw a video that you posted and so it's like, it takes place in the Alamo and you're defending it. Yes. Okay cool. Yeah, so I guess yeah, you went really pretty simple map, right? A rectangle in the middle and then right. And that's that's after like 7 years of just like
1: I got to have 20 levels that are all different with different mechanics and all this other crap that you know just overwhelms you and ends up You're you a smart man. That.
0: Cause that's the pain I'm going through right now. And I'm like, why can't I just be happy with making simple games? Why do I have to do this? You know? Well,
1: I mean, I hated it for so long because, uh, I mean, I failed a really big project. Then I was like, man, I have to do simple ones. And I just couldn't get into it because it just didn't pump me up the way a big project is. And then I got into VR and VR, you can do simple games. And that, that's, all, that's all the games that are out there. Just very simple games. You can get excited about something that's just like, oh, I'm defending the Alamo and just shooting guys. That's simple. That's like video game 101.
0: Yeah, but, you know, that's an. did you hear the previous podcast with Jacob where we were talking about VR? Yeah, the I did. VR, okay. Well, before, before we talk about that, I'm going to say, I've taken a hint from these MMA fighters and coaches where they say you win or you learn. Right. So there's no failing. So your previous projects didn't fail because you learned something, right?
1: correct oh yeah correct
0: and you take but, that to fight again
1: mm-hmm. but but when it happened it was just rushing
0: oh man i know i my big project that i'm redoing again now for the third time i quit it t- twice before and it was like somebody died yeah <laughs> because like i don't do anything else like this is my existence you know yeah. so it's kind of dangerous when you do that because it's like my project's dead i'm dead <laughs> right yeah as your baby you know yeah and i was just like slagging around my wife was like ah oh, do you want to go to the park nah, nah, nah. you no. know close the blinds. <laughs> yeah so um but the thing with the vr because i always thought like in the previous episode we're talking about vr and jacob was talking about how with his first game it was just madness to start with 3d and vr but you make a good point is that the expectations and kind of the limitations to the technology, VR forces you to have, like, a simple game outside of the dual cameras and all that stuff, right? Uh,
1: oh, yeah. And I mean, like, there are the companies like Oculus and even Steam VR like, they have these controllers already set up for you. They've done all the hard work. and And it's not to say it's nothing, nothing with game dev is easy, but it does force limitations on you for what you can do.
0: Yeah, and and so... If they do the the heavy lifting, you're saying, then it's just like, oh, I just focus on my simple game then, right?
1: Right. And then, I mean, with VR, like, you are, you're the character. So, for me, that makes more sense to work with because I was trying to do a 2D game before, and, like, that didn't make sense. I'm not a 2D character. Like, I don't know what it's like to be on a 2D plane of existence, but I know what it's like to live in the three-dimensional world. I know what it's like to pick something up and throw it. I know what it's like to shoot a gun, you know, it's... It all, it all makes more sense to me once you get past that initial zaniness.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because I think a lot of times game developers like look at the game styles, whether it's first person or 2D, based on other games they played, right? Like, oh, I remember playing this game that was like that. But you're talking about like, oh, I know what it is to be a person and I'm in VR or the closest thing would be VR, right? First person.
1: Right. Huh. And you look down, you see your hand. Like, that's your hand. And it doesn't take much to trick your brain into being like,
0: oh, that's my hand. So in the the various versions, the previous versions of this project or something similar, what are the things you did then that you're not doing now? What are the things you're doing now you didn't do then that you know, you, th- you know, we're going to help you succeed this time?
1: Um, so one of the big things that I saw uh, another game to talk about recently was having a non zero days. Because whenever I first started, I would kind of wait till I had a, a whole day and I'd be like, I'm gonna work on this all day for 12 hours. And then I would get to that day, something would happen and I wouldn't work on my game for a week, two weeks, maybe three weeks. But until I started going, I need to work on this every single day and I need to write it down. So I need to work on, I need to have a calendar set up like right next to me. If I work on it, I give myself a little time frame of when I worked. And if I don't, it's like a big, disgusting X on your wall. And getting into that, until I got into the habit of, I just wake up and I just work on my project every single day without thinking about it and have non-zero days where either I'm reading documentation, working on it. And and it's hard to like, Finish a long term multi year project if you don't work on it a little bit every single day in some form.
0: Yeah, I think that was Ash talking about that he tries to put in like two hours every day to his regular job. Just yeah, yeah. Chip away at it. Because um, having that space, I mean, it can be a good thing too, because a lot of times, you know, if you're working full days, you can get caught up on some detail and burn through, you know, 10 hours and never solving it. And then, you know, you sleep on it and you're like, oh, it's this simple solution. So right. that could be a benefit, you know, chipping away at it. Um, So that you would say like uh, taking care to like um, notate what you've done. Uh, what about like planning? Is there any like how are you planning out what you're doing? Uh, so like you're talking about those three different lists. Can you mm-hmm. give us some examples of like what some of those things are and just how you're planning?
1: Um, well, I've been recently using uh, hack and plan to kind of just put out goals that I know are going to take maybe like a day or a few days. And then I have a whiteboard next to me and it's got those three you know main goals that I'm working on maybe over the, mm-hmm. the month or the week. And then I'll have a notepad that I'll go through. So I'll press play in Unity, go through a loop, and then I'll just write down like whatever I see is wrong. And even if I'm going to be working on it within the next minute or two minutes, I still write it down. I write it all the way out to make sure it's a complete, concise thought. And if it's going to take me longer, then I'll put it in as a task into hack and plan. But I found that workflow just really up my productivity by quite a bit.
0: Yeah, the thing with the hack and plan too, I like having like, I have an ideas board. So if I have an idea for some random thing in my game, so I don't clog up my like work list. I just throw it out to like ideas. Mm. And then, so when I like have those free days or I don't know what to do, or I don't want to do something too crazy, I'll go into my ideas board and be like, Oh, should I do one of these? And, uh, I have an optimization one too. Cause you know, they talk about like you should optimize, but if you optimize too soon, like you're just messing things up. So, you know, you should do it at the end. I kind
1: of disagree with that to a certain extent because I feel like a lot of games that come out nowadays they're they're not optimized at all. And most a lot of developers have not they don't have a lot of concepts of optimization, which is one of the biggest things with game design.
0: Yeah, that is true. I guess the, the thought is that you should wait till like the game's done and then you can optimize it, which is gonna probably going to be harder. So maybe it's like, keep it in mind so you're not building systems and things that are going to be impossible to optimize. You know, right. or like when our, we're building our levels, if we have like 200 prefabs, you know, for, for clones or something of mm-hmm. objects in our scene, put them all in one like null or something so it's easy to manage them or organize them. But, um, or even
1: just how to make an optimized mesh that is just one mesh with one material and thinking about that earlier rather than later is much easier in my opinion.
0: Yeah, also, something that um that uh I like had a pain like I don't want to do again is using like having to rebuild like compound colliders. I don't know if you ever had to do that in Unity where it's like, you know, they say you should not use mesh colliders. Uh-huh that you should go back, because it's apparently what they do in AAA games too. Um, So if you have some object, like a castle, that has like a mesh collider on it, nah, you got to go back and then just add a bunch of cube colliders, box colliders, and spheres to make it fit. Because that's more performant. So like in my my game I'm doing now, I'm building everything out of cubes. Just so I never, I'm just box collider done.
1: Yeah, right. That's the best way to do it there's a yeah,
0: cool stop. oh good
1: there's a cool asset called a uh, Technique collider creator that i really really like and you kind of like paint on to the bases of the mesh and then it you can have it make a box collider that kind of fits to that and then you can have just multiple box colliders per mesh
0: yeah i bought that one i think i bought every single collider asset on the store trying yeah. to like solve that like there's no way I'm going to rebuild these by hand, you know, And even using all of them. I was like, I can't do this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Boxes. 60 bucks. Easy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so like that thing is optimization thing. Um, your colliders. And I think, uh, in one of the chats and the podcast discord, we were talking about that GPU instating asset, right? Right. So, there's a newer asset called GPU Instancer, I think it's called. Is that what it's called? Uh, yes. And because if we get into some geekiness, I don't know that much about optimization Unity. I'm still researching. But there's a lot of different things you can do, right? Like taking a bunch of meshes and combining them into one. That's one thing, right? That's one thing. And then while well, making sure you're using GPU instance materials, that's another thing. And and, and and that's telling the
1: GPU to render it because the GPU will render everything in one pass. It likes to do everything in go. So what those things are doing is getting all of the things that are like kind of like a snapshot at that moment and rendering them in at that time in the GPU. That probably sounds no, that makes wrong, sense.
0: But <laughs> that makes sense. And then there's texture atlasing
1: as well, right? Right, so that's making it to where all the textures are all into one file. That way that the GPU can then render that all in
0: one pass. And then that GPU instance assets like its own other universe, right? Because you don't have to do those things if you use it. Yeah,
1: so that will um, edit the shaders to work with it. And it also does things as far as... uh, It it just makes it automatic For you so you don't have to go through and manually do a lot of that stuff
0: yeah and then the same guy launched a skin mesh gpu instancing system right for characters he's he says he's about to but he's a really smart guy
1: so i'm kind of excited for it
0: yeah his stuff i haven't bought the other one yet but it has great ui it looks like you know and he makes the tutorials and it makes sense um yeah so I'm trying, because like something I learned, you probably already know this, um, I bought some other animation skin mesh instancers, and the ones, like, you can use Mechanum, but then you're still bound by the CPU limitation. So they want you to use, like, these custom animation controllers that are a lot like Unity's legacy animation system, where you're just, like, play this clip, and play this clip. Right. And I think, yeah, his GPU instancing skin mesh one, he can let you use mechanim, but he shows you it's like not the optimized. So you have to use so then like the way I'm looking at it, it's like, okay, if I'm gonna do that, all my characters already have mechanim. So all right, I'm just gonna have specific characters that are gonna come in swarms, and then they'll have a simple animation system, you know, to try to plan for the optimization. Right. Like
1: I mean my whole game is kind of designed around I kind of mentioned it in there, but what I call like conshits and see just making sure that everything is just nice and shitty that way you can have these shitty animations and that I don't have to deal with all of that, like transitioning and everything, but it all makes sense in the universe because everything has that kind of sloppy animation style.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a smart thing to do. If your style leverages itself well to optimization or making things, keeping things simple. Like me, I'm going blocky architecture for the box colliders, but right. Genius. Yeah, if you can get away with it, um, I mean, South Park has done it forever. Yeah, and it's just about the style. It's just as long as people know you're doing it on purpose, right? Well, yeah, you got to be consistent with it. Yeah, because if you have like one good-looking asset in the game, like it'll throw it all off, and they'll be like, "This isn't AAA." Yeah. (laughs) So I'm interested in that. Like, what if other people want to join you in your journey into the style of consistency? (laughs) What are What are some of the um? The key points of it.
1: Uh, I mean just just making sure that everything kind of looks the same. I mean, like something like South Park, it still looks beautiful if you kind of just just look at it. But then the characters, their walk cycles are just them um, shaking around. You know what I mean? All the all the colors and textures are flat. Um, but uh, most of the models that I've bought have all the textures already painted on there's mm-hmm. no real extra anything added to it. Um, I guess coming from like an art background, it's kind of easy, it's easier to just know what looks good and cool. Um, uh, The ground is just a, a cube, you know, with the color. I had messed with like all these terrains and other stuff and then ultimately just having just a, a flat color terrain or a flat color cube as my ground, worked way better with the theme that I was going for.
0: Um, yeah, and and I think that's an important thing too, to like lock in or have an idea or lock in the style of your game early on so that you don't build these complex things. Right. Or get these complex models or setups. So if you decided that it's like, okay, I know what I'm doing now.
1: Right. And I mean, honestly, like that's, that's all I really know how to do. Like no matter what project I work on, it just turns into a cartoon after a little while.
0: So yeah, and those styles like South Park or whatever, it just requires more imagination. And something Um, I, went th- I was thinking about a lot is like death and video games and how like Mortal Kombat Part 1 for the arcade or whatever, there were fatalities, but they were funny because it was so pixelated and looked so messed up, you know? Yeah. And so it was still fun. And then now it's just like watching a snuff
1: movie. I know. Yeah, it's it's brutal.
0: And it kind of like, I'm like... Did those guys back then, did they mean for it to be funny or were they trying to be brutal? You know, like, would they tell the guys in present time, like, dude, what are you guys doing, man? This is disgusting, you know? Or they'd be like, yeah.
1: I mean, I bet they are definitely watching like Faces of Death and things like that. So I bet that was what they were going for. But because of the limitations, they weren't able to
0: do that. Yeah, because I'm just like, I I like the old ones because they were like cartoony. But yeah, like Death and Games. Once you start pushing realism, then it's like, hey, what am I watching here? You know, so yeah, you're keeping it cartoony with your deaths.
1: Yeah, I mean, whenever the enemies die, I mean, like their body parts shoot out blood and they fly around with like a rigid body into space. <laughs> so you're never gonna think that's real.
0: Yeah. So then it's it's safe for kids.
1: It's safe for kids, exactly.
0: <laughs> it's I don't what out of the game. I don't even know the game ratings. Peggy. Is that the game rating Peggy Peggy 10? 12 Peggy 12 is that the age rating I don't know about
1: Europe I, I I recently did the the ratings thing and I I think that is that yeah I mean M is what's over in America oh okay yeah I don't I don't know anything about them I guess I'll have to figure that out when
0: they come to release a game it's pretty simple you just kind of fill out a quiz oh okay I guess release a game on Steam. I release games, but I just throw them up on itch.io and run away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's like the, is that the poor man's theme or like the slacker's theme? Uh, I, guess. I don't want to say that. <laughs> Cause like, I just, I'm like, man, I got to make an LLC or do all this stuff for Steam, whatever. Um, And you got to have the code integration too, right? Have you done that before? Like the Steam? Uh,
1: no, I mean, I have a page on Oculus and it's, it's not, it's really not that hard. And I mean, even forming an LLC isn't that hard either, at least in Texas. I don't know about
0: everywhere else. Oh, California, they kill you. I had a corporation for like 12 years or something from movies and I just got rid of it. So I'm like, I don't want to do that again.
1: Yeah. Maybe set it up in a different state. Yeah. a different country. Yeah. <laughs> um i mean i noticed too that uh that was a big thing with uh starting an indie studio i guess is that there aren't many resources that teach you how to do the business side of it and there will be lawyers that'll just take advantage of you like they were going to charge me 700 dollars to do a name search for my business and that took me 10 minutes to do oh man yeah once you get attorneys involved I mean, especially once you realize what they do, you can
0: do most of it on your own. Yeah, yeah. that just, that just got me thinking something else like that, like a publicist. Do you know what a publicist does? Nothing. Yeah, you pay a publicist ten thousand dollars, and they tell their friends about you. Yeah, that's what a publicist does.
1: Especially in the age now where you have Discord and YouTube, like that. I don't. I don't even know what they do.
0: Like, uh, I just opened a thread. If, if anybody goes to the Game Dev Grit podcast Discord, I opened a marketing games thread. So the thing that kind of surprised me is that you had all the marketing down for your game from the start. How did you develop that? Where did you learn to do that? If you can discuss that a little bit.
1: I mean, I've just been following it my whole life. Like, I have a closet full of just electronic gaming monthlies where i've just kind of like poured over like i've seen how the marketing has involved evolved over time um i mean recently that book you suggested uh indie game dreams to delivery i think his name's don Don daglow that was one of the first that really went over what you need to do from that perspective um and i mean there's so many good resources like gama sutra or gdc talks that like teach you how to present your games, like things you'll need to talk about. Like I knew yeah. I I knew no going into this I would need to have a quick, concise way of talking about my game. So just making sure I had that ready to go.
0: Yeah, I guess it's like movies. Like they when you're making movies they talk about your elevator pitch. So it's right. like if you're in an elevator with someone, you have to explain your game like in thirty seconds. Right. Right. So I guess it's kinda like that. And um somebody in the Discord in the marketing section posted this GDC talk. It was really good. I watched it yesterday and the guy was talking about not to confuse your game's hook with its kicker, where he was explaining how a lot of times as developers, we get caught up in the technicalities, like it's a procedurally generated something, something. And it's like, oh, the procedurally generated thing isn't the thing that normal people are going to be into. You know, that comes later. So it's like, what's your game's hook? And the hook thing comes from like movie marketing, marketing, Seth Godin, all these people. So read about that stuff to get your hook. So um,
1: And and most people don't really care. Like they don't want to sit there and listen to you blabber on about like what your game is. They want to get to the point.
0: Yeah, like what does it do for them? Like why should they wanna play it? Right. Especially now. It's too bad. I mean, when technology gets advanced enough where we can have people have like things implanted in them and be like, If you don't play my game, you will die. Then that would be the best, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If you don't play my game, I will kill you. that's marketing one-on-one baby yeah like if if we get you know the mark of the beast implants everybody gets those and then like the u.s government becomes a game developer like play our game bitch or we'll kill you (laughs) damn we might need a publicist i don't know i don't know (laughs) that would be the greatest that man they would sell so many copies
1: oh yeah they'd they'd have to
0: yeah or else so um so how's it going now your your current game project through the ver- previous iterations, you're learning this stuff. How are you feeling now about it?
1: Man, I feel really good. I mean, I'm just I've found the the blueprint. Um, I mean, through through your tutorials and then just kind of implementing my own take on it and just kinda working on it every day. I mean, I have a real thing that I can show to people. I have like a real demo that I can show to people. I'm on a game dev podcast right now. I feel, feel awesome. Really yeah, awesome. And
0: I hope cause there's a, you know, the, our discord isn't that big, but I know a handful of the people and there's some really knowledgeable people in there. So please use it. You, anyone else that wants to come in and ask questions, we have a code section, art section, game design, all this stuff. So, um, I hope you will use it, Brad, you know, it will be useful for you and, um, anybody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's, there aren't many people who can talk about independent game dev. Like, even if you're talking to friends and family about it, like, they don't fully understand the the grid, the tools, like, the things that you would be working on on a day-to-day basis.
0: They just Yeah, want to I see think, game. especially, especially if you're a one-man army. Like, there's a lot of developers out there, but they're programmers or artists or just designers. There's not that many people, I, I mean, that you can find, because we're all in, you know on computer somewhere but people that are trying to do everything i think that's right. the you know
1: yeah and i mean when i first got into the discord i was like luh, 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 luh. like i had so many things to talk about because i was like oh my god these are people who would actually i mean that's the reason
0: about. i want to start this because i'm sitting around here reading these books i don't have anybody to talk to about this stuff like what do you do like How do you link your game map to like this door you know the keys and the lock so and um yeah there's there's not much available online i don't know why um some some big secret they're hiding low level game design from us yeah
1: (laughs) the same people are gonna
0: put the chips in us man Man. government.
1: (laughs) it's in the water man
0: But, uh, yeah, um, thanks for being on the, bro- the podcast, Brad. And if there's any, um, any last words you have to share with people out there, um, we'll post links to whatever you want us to post to about what you're doing. But, you know, let them know.
1: Uh, cool. Um, just letting you know, member of the Alamo, you know, coming soon. Blue Collar Games, games made by men with calluses on their hands. You know, follow uh, Game Dev Grit, the number one game dev podcast on the airwaves. And, uh, yeah, come join us
0: cool we have to throw asterisks the number one game day podcast this host, the <laughs> Sam. strange made um yeah. with 10 people in it <laughs> but yeah man thanks for being on and uh we'll have you back on you know to get to get like the progress your game see what's going on yeah so, in the future so so good luck to you and uh i'll see you in the discord cool thanks for having me